so this week we, we've been talking about self-awareness for the last few weeks we started off explaining what it is why it matters and now we're going more into how to get it how to become more self-aware so last session we talked about your brain um, and the importance of understanding the brain structure and your way of operating as an individual this week we're talking about your world and for the next one we'll be talking about you so the thing we usually think about when we think about self-awareness but looking at how to explore yourself in a constructive rather than a deconstructive way but this week it's your world so Lou what (laughs) yes what what does what does that mean I mean let's start with a simple question um so in terms in so in, in from my perspective when I'm thinking about your world or my world I'm thinking about kind of my reality um because we all live our in our own realities it's, it's different from everyone else's reality or world and it's all formed by um, our experiences uh, the way we grew up it's, and how we perceive the world what lens we're looking through um and so if you're l- looking for self-awareness it's really about understanding that world but also from other perspectives rather than just your own so that you can understand it more. So it's understanding where you fit within that world. Yeah, I think it's understanding where you fit in that world. Um, Are you happy with that fit? Does the fit work with your fit? Um, Is it in and how other people see you in that world? Does that fit with what how you see yourself? so we're really we're talking about feedback as well aren't we which obviously in the world you you work in is a continual factor in improving performance and fine-tuning absolutely yeah well it is um and at different stages different levels and I would say probably anyone in any high performance area whether it's sport whether it's music drama acting it would you know to uh, really be able to push yourself physically and psychologically, you do need to know yourself really well. And I, w- and I would say you will know an elite athlete because they know themselves physically and mentally very, very well. Um, and because to be able to push your limits, you've got to know where your limits are. And, and finding your limits is hard and you learn a lot about yourself when you're finding those limits. I think I spoke to one athlete and he kind of described it as every time he set himself a challenge, he was, he saw his brain as, um, and, and him, I guess his world as a house and lots of the doors of the rooms were shut. And in every challenge he set himself, he was opening the doors and actually finding out what was in all these rooms and understanding what he's like and how he works. And for each scenario, who it's basically, he just wanted to explore what this house was like, what all the rooms were like, what was in the rooms, who was in the rooms, how the rooms were decorated. And it was, and it was a, for me, that was a great analogy for how, you know, athletes and elite athletes work they're not just interested in pushing themselves physically they're interested in pushing themselves psychologically to understand a lot about how they work and with that can then work out how they get better at what they do 
Yeah, it's multifaceted, isn't it, in sport? Because you've got the biofeedback in terms of feeling how far you're pushing your body, but you've got the, or how your heart rate's doing or what your VO2 max is and all those things. But then you've got the feedback of, say, playing football, how many goals did I score or running a sprint? How fast did I run it? But then there's also the importance of understanding the fit within the broader environment in terms of people isn't there because if you're a member of a team you have to know if shouting at a team member in a certain way under pressure actually helps them or hinders them yeah and um, so how are you coming across what does that mean and to, to to push the performance of the team there is there needs to be that understanding whereas i mean there's that piece in business world but it's far more dependent on feedback from other people, which can be hard because when you're a leader, people can often tell you what you want to hear rather, or they what they think you want to hear rather than the actual truth. And that can be even with the veneer of trying to be edgy or negative, it still becomes very political. And you know, even if we take it in normal to everyday life. So if I was to say to you, oh, Lou, I'm shattered today, which I am, you might say, well, you don't look tired, Fee, but actually you think I do, but you're being nice. <laughs> and so when it comes to our everyday sort of situations, people don't really like giving feedback, not even at work. I mean, I've worked with companies where I've had to really help them understand how to ask for feedback and how to give feedback because it feels uncomfortable and how to receive feedback oh yeah that's really important I, I mean because if you aren't very good at receiving feedback then people are going to be less comfortable giving you feedback absolutely there's a skill in the giving there's a skill in, in the receiving the feedback um and that's hard by the way i think you look amazing you always look amazing no, uh, I know you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know why we always do these on the Fridays. Maybe <laughs> end of the week. Maybe we should do it as we're fresher in the week. I don't know. So I, I guess my I'm interested, actually, because one of the things that we use a lot in sport is um, performance analysis. So we, we video, we use a lot of video analysis for sports and it can depend on the sport. And you'll the athletes will then watch a lot of themselves back. Right. So that's a lot of feedback. And I don't know about you, but at the beginning of my psychology training, I would video and record a lot of my sessions with athletes, with coaches, one to one sessions and watch those back. Um, and then I was getting my own feedback on what I looked like, what the response was from the person I was talking to, to certain questions or how I would act. Um, it is quite uncomfortable doing that from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> but once you do it it's it, you know you get more comfortable is that anything that's used in business uh, do they uh, do you record any business meetings someone might have and then play that back and and look at that person uh, how they get the feedback themselves from those scenarios you know the thing is with so, so you know the other thing with psychologists we say if you're being watched you change your behavior and with the business stuff, some of it's really confidential, um, which means that as soon as you switch into recording it, people 
change what they're saying and they change their behavior. So for example, if you're doing the in-depth profiling, you couldn't, you couldn't record that because some of the information you're getting is all sorts of stuff that's come up in their past, like abuse or um, accusations or uh, for things on them or, or all sorts of bits and pieces. And they just wouldn't tell you that stuff if you were recording. What we used to do was we would have someone sit in with us, so another psychologist, once every however long to see how we were doing it. But it did change the dynamic because just like having a camera there, having another person there. But when I joined Anderson Consulting, we had to watch ourselves presenting. And and that's something that leaders will use a lot as well. So media training and obviously they have to watch it back, see what they did well, see what they didn't do well. And at Anderson, we had to do that for presentations. And I found that immensely uncomfortable. But I found doing these podcasts, which I've been editing myself, really interesting in terms of feedback for me. Yeah, for just listening to yourself. Listening to myself. So firstly, I've gone from feeling like there's no way I could ever listen to myself ever. So when I used to record, when I used to be a guest on a podcast, I would never listen to it back ever. Whereas now I'm listening to myself every week. And I found it, so I give the example of someone who was the guest before last, so Dr. Tasha Yurik, who talks about self-awareness. And I listened to myself back and I sounded like a stuttering fool next to her. (laughs) She very clearly, punctually says, but not in a cheesy way and not in an overly rehearsed way. What is self-awareness? Why does it matter? How do we get more of it? And it really made me think, listening to the contrast between us, how I was presenting myself. And here's someone who's an organisational psychologist, so it's exactly the same field, coming across with absolute authority and crystal clear. And I'm thinking, yeah. So feedback in that sense. And then obviously with snowboarding, for me, I've only done sort of like the basic, basic, but that included video analysis. Yeah, yeah. Um, and immensely helpful to say you don't with sport where with snowboarding in particular where is the weight on the board and you might think your weight's all on your back foot when actually it's all on your front foot or vice versa and you might think that you're bending your knees and you watch it back and you're like my god my legs look really straight that sort of feedback is so immediate and less painful I find partly because I'm dressed head to toe in (laughs) snowboard stuff so I can't see myself I mean, I've done a lot of work in triathlon and swimming and, and been there when they videoed people in swim strokes, right? And what you see and what you feel can be completely different. And I think that's quite similar to people in business, what they think they're like and actually what other people see them as is quite different. And often when you're trying to change a feel like the feeling of changing a swim stroke a bit even if it's to put your right hand just a bit further around or your elbow a bit further up or where you enter the hand enters the water slightly differently it's the change feels huge at the time and feels really weird and I think again that's quite similar Mm. to a business person making that change it feels awkward it feels clunky it feels uncomfortable but actually over time as we know, habits ingrained and and, um, and then you get better at it and then your swim stroke becomes much better and then you've got to change something else, right? <laughs> Constant improvement. 
Um, luckily, this is a podcast because at the moment you're just seeing me do a, a, a front <laughs> crawl stroke on this. On this like call, aren't you? Luckily, no one else has to do it, so they don't have to. Critique. This is another reason we need to go video, Lou. I'll <laughs> run one of the reasons not to do the video. Um, so, and I, so I think I think it's really interesting to to know that that uncomfort is okay in this these scenarios because it's, it's going to happen whether it's physical it's to do with the, the biofeedback the physical feedback the psychological feedback there's a level of uncomfort and that's fine that's normal it, you're going to experience that because you're going to be changing it's telling you something you don't know yeah and and it's interesting because i haven't seen that time and time again if uh, uh someone who's working their work through the leadership ranks is given feedback on how they behave and so for example if someone is very much a action-oriented uh decision maker so they just do things on the run they're not really reflecting they're not thinking strategically and they're not thinking longer term and they're told you know you really need to think about how you do this there'll be a massive flip to the opposite end of the spectrum yeah. which yes feels very uncomfortable but also is quite clunky in a different way because suddenly this person is sort of operating actually further over the other side than they should and then there's kind of a rebalance as the skills become learned and and that person relaxes more into it where they can move along the spectrum of decision making for example from action oriented to reflective and strategic but different people like you say different people respond to feedback in different ways and one of the things I did years ago, we used to do workshops on how to give and receive feedback. And have you heard of the Sarah model? There's no reason you should. It's, I mean, when I actually looked it up for my book, I couldn't find all the original references. So I don't know how robust it is, but it's quite useful. So it's when we receive feedback, we, go, we can go through five stages. It's shock, anger, reality, acceptance, and honesty so the, the Sarah model you can move through it you can you can quickly go to say anger or you can go to honesty and just again it's the awareness of that's how you might react to feedback helps you process it so saying okay you might get angry at first but try not to get angry at that person if they're giving you the feedback you've asked for try and just process well, that's the thing, isn't it? it's it there's what's, what's the r again Shock, anger, resistance. Resistance. Oh, I like that. Except okay, so hope. hope. And if you have my paperback, hope. yeah, hope. If you have my paperback, it's page 120. <laughs> I'll put it, I'll put the model on our show notes. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's interesting because I do think there's like in terms of feedback, right? It can be it can be constructive, it can be really positive feedback, right? I think sometimes mm -hmm. we all in our worlds think that feedback is going to be a negative thing but it it, it it could be just really positive feedback I am really conscious in work that if someone does something good I let them know you know and I'll send them a text or I'll send them a, a, a voice note or I'll um I'll just you know just tell them virtual face-to-face -face, you know when I can um you know or, or we'll just kind of congratulate them in a meeting that type of thing I'll make sure I do that because it's I think that's just as important so that you know what you're doing well and what people are seeing in what you're doing well um, and, and that comes back to what we were talking about with imposter syndrome because if people don't have that feedback yeah then they may progress without feeling that they have earned 
that progression, which then can create this disparity between their reality and what other people are seeing. So other people are seeing them more positively than they're seeing themselves because no one's actually said you're being promoted because of X, Y, and Z, and then continually given feedback on this is why, because you perform really well in this meeting, because you did really well in this negotiation. And then that disparity sets in, even if it's for the positive. Yeah. And I, I think there's an element of, I think like, you can probably go through that, Sarah, model at shock and anger if you're given feedback without even requesting it. Because um, you're shocked anyway. Um, I think there's a timing piece here as well. So I don't know about you, but I know that like in sometimes in work, you can have your you have your 360 appraisal once a year, right? And people can, and then, and I don't know what you guys, what, what other businesses do, but um, we can ask for, you know, five to 10 people to give us feedback. We, we can do, we can choose who that is. Now, it depends on who you choose. You can choose like your closest friends in work. Yeah, because I always advise people that if, I, if I'm getting a CEO to do 360 feedback, it will be make sure you've got some people you know don't really like you and who you grate up against as well as the people who do rate you so that you get you don't get a disproportionate view yeah and I think that's key but also the fact that I think it's you will be more in shock and go through anger and resistance if you get the feedback once a year rather than maybe in the moment at the time because that's when it's going to make most difference Absolutely. And that's one of the things that causes real problems with performance management. So um, one company, which I won't name, which is a very well-known international organisation, have loads of issues with performance management because they won't tell someone that they're not doing their job properly until it comes to performance managing them out of the business. And then they're absolutely gobsmacked because as far as they knew, they were doing fine. And yeah. it's people are so bad at giving that continual feedback. And like you say, it's the timing. Because if I was to say to you, oh, Lou, when we did that podcast four weeks ago and you said this, it made me feel really happy. I can't remember what you said and I can't remember how you said it. And you'd be like, oh, that's really helpful. Thanks, Fee. Whereas if I was to say... Oh, there were so many things in there it could have been. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whereas if I say, Lou... I love the way you do your summaries. So I say after we finish a podcast and I say, Lou, I love the way you do summaries. It's really concise. You pull all the information together and I find it really helpful. Then you can think, okay, I know what you're talking about because I've just done that. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes it more meaningful. You're then learning about your world in the moment of your world where it's helpful, you're interested, you're in the moment where you're open to learning at that time it's relevant um, and therefore you can do something about it Um, yeah and and sometimes feedback isn't necessarily about what you can do differently or um what you can be better or or work you know or or what you can be better at what you're not very good at sometimes it's just about um what are you observing about behaviors or patterns of behaviors in certain situations right and that's interesting. It's, I think it's interesting how people can head into a meeting or how do they start a meeting or how do they manage uncomfortable situations and just actually observing and pointing out behaviours with no judgment of 
what you perceive, whether that behaviour is good or bad, but just putting over behaviours is really interesting. And I think that's what we do in sport. We highlight behaviours and we, we, we might sit later and unpick what's happening behind those behaviours. Are those behaviours actually helping performance or are they not? We might look at that and then go, OK, well, if they're not, what do we need to work on? Um, but some people just some people are not aware of how they behave at all. Um, so shining a light on that is, is really interesting. And we do we do do a lot of work around behaviours, especially for the, some of the youngsters as well coming up in the, you know, the, the kind of pathway athletes to help them understand that and how that then impacts others. And we do group sessions. So we'll talk about really kind of really specific observable behaviours. So they're observable. So the coach can look at them. Other people in the team or the group of athletes can observe them as well. So when we then discuss those behaviours and athletes might say, yeah, no, I normally behave like that. It is really interesting because then there's there's a challenge often if it's not what they do. And other athletes will come in and go, hang on, well, I saw that. That wasn't in line with that. Or actually, I saw that behaviour. That's really That was really good at that point. That's what I'm saying. So actually, in terms of where you are, we'll, we'll kind of categorise behaviours, more performance behaviours on a, on, on a kind of a range. So you can get up in the behaviours or down to, to the behaviours away towards performance or away from performance, right? We can come back to the act, <laughs> a reason for that, if you want, because what would we do if we weren't mentioning Russ Harris in one of these podcasts? Um, so, and that's really interesting. So they get challenged by other people about, of those observable behaviours and that's fascinating it's really hard to define the actual behaviour you're trying to observe and I find it fascinating because um, you can sit down and talk to coaches about what are the behaviours you would like to see in the athletes that will underpin a good level of performance in training and competition and you can reel, reel all these things in none of them is observable <laughs> they're happy what's observable what how do you you know how they're enjoying training they are focused what does what shows what are you observing to show that right and you really have to unpick that it's quite hard to do that yeah once um, you've done that it makes life so much easier so years ago when I was a little psychologist we used to create, <laughs> we used to create assessment centers and assessment centers mean that you have to you're assessing say graduates and you have to have observable behaviors that are consistently understood by anyone. So you have different assessors coming in on different days. They might be a line manager from a different area yeah. of the business. And a lot of people find it really hard, like you say, to define what things look like. It's all right when it's defined for them, but it's that in itself is interesting because I don't think we're able to assign the language to those behaviours because we're not often observing them. We do that for our job. But making it an observable behaviour also takes away you're not good at or you are good at or you shouldn't do this or I don't think you're very nice, blah, blah, blah. It's saying this is what happened. So it could be you came into a meeting, you slammed your folder on the table two people then looked really worried. That's all observable behaviours, but it's not saying you shouldn't have done that or you should have done that. It's saying, look, this is what you did and this was the impact. So what does that mean? And it, it just takes away some of the emotion from it sometimes as well. Yeah, which, which in sport is really helpful. So if we've got observable behaviours, I can then work with um, some of the performance analysts 
we can then video sessions of athletes and we can code them in line with those behaviors and then measure measure behavior yeah which is just fast it's brilliant and really helpful it takes a lot of time but it really it you then can then show that back to the athletes to the coaches to the sports as feedback and it's fascinating when they start really understanding more about their world and what they look like and how they behave in that world and it's so interesting because like you say we don't know and I mean my classic example was I was running a game when I was a little psychologist and I was running a uh, I can't remember it was some sort of three-day development center with my old company and I was saying to people we, right we're going to give feedback and we're going to use this something you know the stop start continue so stop doing this start doing this continue this and people go oh no but we've only just met each other and we can't give each other feedback I said it doesn't matter you you can you should be able to observe things like we just talked about without even knowing a person you can you can say how they come into a room how they communicate in a meeting or in a discussion group so I said right Let's use me as an example. We're going into the next session. I'm talking in front of the audience and then I'll get feedback afterwards. This is me who hates. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, listen, how did it go? <laughs> what was so interesting? I mean, I had some nice feedback, which I can't remember, obviously. But, um, <laughs> but the thing that I didn't realise I did when I'm in front of a large audience, I only used to speak to the right-hand side of the room. Now, several people said we were sat on the left-hand side and you didn't look over our way at all. I was like, really? I had absolutely no idea that I did that. And what's also interesting is I could watch a video back of that and not necessarily notice if the video camera was in the middle of the room, because it's only if you're on the receiving end of not being looked at that you really notice it. And so now if I'm giving a talk to a large audience, I have to <laughs> I have to do the scan the room thing, but I have to start on the left-hand side because <laughs> otherwise I know that for some reason my brain only focuses on the right-hand side of the room. But it was, it was just so simple, so quick to receive that feedback. I had a massive impact on every talk I've done since. And I, and I guess the point you're making with that is that it's it's helpful to actually get different types of feedback from different angles forgive the pun on that um, <laughs> you know different angles different people different um, perspectives so that you get more of a rounded understanding of your world right Absolutely. and it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of blind spots that we have there are and those can be those can really trip us up if we're not careful because one of mine is no longer a blind spot and it still trips me up but I'm aware of it and I can correct for it is that I talk over people <laughs> now I do it because I get very excited or I get worried that I'm going to forget what I'm going to say and if I really, really, really have an important meeting, I can mentally prepare myself beforehand, but it takes quite a lot of effort because it's not my natural tendency. Most of the time, I just spend my time apologizing for doing it. But at least I'm aware enough to apologize rather than just bulldoze my way through. But when we're talking about everyday people, so people listening, it can be a bit daunting asking for feedback. And the best mechanism that I've found is from 
Jack Canfield, who wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul. Love that. Love it. Yeah. And it's so simple, but so usable in numerous different situations. And that's to say, Lou, on a scale of zero to 10, how would you rate our friendship? 10, 10. <laughs> Thank you. But you might say, for example, Fee, mm, I'd say, I'd say seven. I'd say, oh, okay, Lou. What would make it a 10? Yeah. And it gives such a nice constructive mechanism, A, for receiving the feedback, because it's in the positive, and B, for giving the feedback. Within the framework of giving the feedback, you're given a really nice, clear way of doing it. Mark out of 10. You can even give someone a nine, but then when they ask how to make it a 10, it makes you think about why didn't I give it a 10? And what would it take to make it a 10? Whereas if you more blindly ask for feedback, people go, oh yeah, I think you did really well. And you get no information from that whatsoever. Nice, nice bit of encouragement, but not much else. Do you think there's an area uh, that is worth looking at in terms of if either if you're asking for feedback, you put forward the intention of that feedback or the person who is being asked to give the feedback to go back and go, what do you what would you like from that feedback? What are your expectations? What's the intent? Right. So that that allows you to direct uh, your thought processes in the right way for giving feedback. And it, it goes back to, I guess, that empathy point, right? That cognitive and emotional empathy is make, it, it is working on the cognitive empathy so you can distance yourself with potentially putting yourself in their shoes and going where their emotions could be if you're going to provide them feedback. That it's there for a purpose. They want to get the feedback. Your job is to provide the feedback based in line with what their expectations and hopes are. And that's the task at hand. Um, and so it's managing that to provide that feedback. So it's helpful and they can progress further on. I mean, one of the things I always find, I have a slight dread, but I'm doing it time and time again with the way my work works, which is I do a profile of someone. I then write up a report on their personality, their areas of strength and their areas for development. Then if there's one job, there's three candidates, I have to give two people feedback, walk through that report I have written on them about their personality to say why they haven't got the job and do it constructively so that they don't come away in pieces, but rather they come away feeling hope for how they can take that learning and use it moving forward. And although I've had some really positive experiences with some really horrible feedbacks. I still dread it every single time. Because um, we, we do, we don't want to upset, well, I personally don't want to upset anyone. My point of doing the type of psychology I've done the same way I think you've done yours is to try and help people. Yeah. And so it's making sure that you're providing that in a way that is helpful. Um, it's constructive rather than deconstructive. Yeah, yeah. But when you you're asking for feedback yeah it's it's sort of I mean consider who you're asking so it's not going to be just if you're doing the zero to ten it's not just going to be someone who's going to say ten you know like a psychologist who's your friend and just says ten rather than giving <laughs> <laughs> and then set the stage so explain it so I mean for example 
if it's personal development, say I'm working on my personal development and it would really help me to get some honest feedback about how I can improve the way I do, improve the way I do things for me to get my next promotion, for me to present better, for me to come across more effectively. And then when you're, if you're on the, the side of asking for feedback, is be respectful that that other person probably finds it uncomfortable as well. And they're putting themselves out to give you that feedback. So just try, like you say, it's, it's the cognitive empathy in reverse. It's trying to take a step back from your own emotions. So if you start feeling cross or defensive or you just try not to say anything, just listen, say thank you, be grateful, take it away and then process it. And if you need to talk it through with someone else to process it constructively, then fine, do that. But just be conscious that it's it's a gift someone's giving you. So don't just slam it back in the face. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's something around, um, I mean, this is, this is about how feedbacks helps us to increase self-awareness. And we can manage that ourselves because I can, there's going to be times where you go, oh, I would like some feedback on that. And actually you get so much, it's quite overwhelming. And that, but also the fact that we get feedback just purely from our responses from other people, you know, and as an athlete, you get feedback just from uh, run times and uh, distance that you've thrown a javelin or whatever it is. So you can get feedback from a lot of different areas. Um, and I do think there's something around having the purpose to why you're having the feedback. And it might be a certain area that you're working on in your development that you'd like to increase self-awareness of that. I also think there's something in actually being um, aware of where you can get feedback from in your everyday life that might be in relation to that. So it might not just be you go and be proactive, but actually what are the certain things that you might be missing on a daily, daily basis that you're not noticing, right, that, you, that could help you like how people speak to you or who, who picks up the phone or um, I'm just trying to think of it from a sports perspective. There's the, you know, some things you've been in the environment for, for so long, you can take things for granted, right? So it's starting to notice the things that you don't normally pick up on. And that's a really interesting exercise. It doesn't take much effort. It just means you're thinking and looking at things in a different way. And that gives you feedback too. Yeah, totally. So it's where you're focusing your attention is just yeah. being more conscious of it. Thinking, like you say, have you have you snapped at someone? Do they do, does someone is someone grumpy with you because you've been grumpy with them? Um, is there a way of and then you can experiment because you can think, even if I'm feeling really grumpy with my partner, I'm going to be cheery and happy. And what's the impact of that? Does that make them cheery and happy or are they still fed up? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can make all sorts of stories up in your head about why, why that is. But um, the feedback is an essential. We, we just don't know where we're going without it. We can't assess how we're doing without it. Uh, very quickly, another one, um, which we mentioned before we recorded was uh, Carol Dweck's growth mindset which I think is really important as well because you can approach feedback with a fixed mindset which is saying which is assuming that your talent is fixed and assuming that your IQ is fixed 
And you say, if someone gives you feedback that says you're not very bright, you accept that feedback with a fixed mindset and say, there's nothing I can do about that. With a growth mindset, which we've now seen more and more with the way neurochemistry works, is we are capable of pushing the boundaries on our talent and we are capable of pushing the boundaries on our IQ, as it were. So rather than think, if someone says, I am stupid, you think, well, you think I'm stupid. Why do you think I'm stupid? And what can I do about that? It's not taking on feedback that's negative and accepting that is therefore how I am. It's looking at that feedback and saying, what can I do with it? Yeah. I mean, I do, every so often I get, I hear the phrase, well, that's just not the way I am. Which is, which we have nowhere to go with that. And what happened, that happens with psychometrics sometimes because people will do the psychometric that says, well, I'm, um, I'm a J on the Myers-Briggs, therefore I have to have structure. And rather than using that to think, well, how could I be flex my style a bit? How could I be a little bit more adaptable sometimes? How could I deal with ambiguity a little better? They, they say, no, well, I am. That's what I am. I'm a J. I'm a J. That's that's just the way I am. So it almost reinforces a behavior rather than <laughs> yeah. enabling awareness of how it impacts. Yeah, it, <laughs> I've come across that a lot. a lot. But sometimes that's that's all that's easy. It's a reassurance to themselves to do that, right? And I get that. Um, like someone saying they talk over people and they just say, "Well, that's <laughs> where I am. <laughs> just the way I am. Just the way I am." <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it is it's fascinating absolutely fascinating are there I mean it's one of the biggest tools of increasing self-awareness um are there other things um that we can use or different types of feedback that we necessarily there are others that we haven't talked about yet um well so we've got video analysis we've got audio analysis asking for feedback, looking at the responses of other people to us um, and observing our environment. Is there something, because when we're asking for feedback on our world, right, in whatever form that is, we're asking for feedback on our world from someone else's world. Is it helpful for us to understand their world to understand that feedback or not? Yeah, and actually, you've just brought me to another point quickly, and I'm sure you do this. When you are helping someone else with their 360 feedback, whether you there's a, there's a statement, there's this whether or not you agree with it, yeah, that is their perception which makes it a reality. Yeah. So the perception of someone who is grumpy and short-tempered and doesn't like you being cheery and smiley every day if they have a fixed mindset, it's unlikely that perception of you is going to change. So like you say, what do you do with that? Well, you can look at the person and say, well, that is their perception. I have to accept that that's their perception. So that is a reality of who I am in their world. But I'm not, I'm not going to be able to change the way they see that. And so is it a bad thing or not? Whereas if someone else says, you know, you're happy and cheery every day and it brightens my day up, well, that's a nice thing. Or it might be that someone else says, you're happy and cheery every day. I wish I could be as happy and cheery as you. 
Well, what you can do with that is actually go and talk to that person. Say, well, how could you view your world differently? So there's, I think, like you're saying, it's who's giving you that feedback? Is that person someone with a fixed mindset or a growth mindset? Yeah, it's interesting. Right. Summary time. (laughs) Summary time. Um, Okay. So that's been a fascinating discussion today, Fee. I've really enjoyed it. Um, Always enjoy it. Always enjoy it. So, um, because it's 10 out of 10. So we have, uh, this is the third part of our self-awareness series. We have talked about the general self-awareness. Last time we talked about the brain. Today we talked about the world and we're talking about you next time. So we talked about the world, our world, and what what that is, and actually how we how do we understand that world? And we've really gone into detail about feedback and the different types of feedback, and how you can give feedback, receive feedback, manage feedback, um, and the different ways that we can take responsibility of that ourselves to make sure we get the best level of self awareness we can to be the best versions of ourselves on a regular basis. <laughs> fab summary love it love it thank you so much my companion and colleague always a pleasure fee you can find lou in the show notes there'll be a link to her you can find me in the show notes there'll be a link to me and we'll also put some stuff about some mechanisms for feedback in there if you've enjoyed it please do tell your friends (laughs) and and rate it that even better That's feedback for us. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much. Take care, Pete. Bye. Bye.